Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to look at Riesling, which is, of course, one of the finest white grape varieties in the world, producing some of the most intense, aromatic, and long-lived white wines, notable for the high acidity which allows the wines to be aged for many years, and also the many different styles of Riesling as well, from bone dry to lusciously sweet and everything in between. So a lot of variety with Riesling, and it's planted in a lot of different countries. Germany is the most important of all those countries, and I won't go into too much detail about Germany and its regions in this episode, because this is about Riesling in general, but I would refer you to my interviews with Jerome Heinz of Bottle Stops uh, that I recorded uh, last year. I think there were four or five episodes all about Germany, and so that really delves into the different regions and trends of Germany. But this episode, we're going to focus on Riesling, though of course referring to Germany, because that's where it is the most planted grape variety. So Riesling probably originates from Rheingau, which is still a very important region for Riesling. First reference, possibly 1435, so extremely historic. The the more specific references are in the 1500s, nevertheless, still historic. It's been there a long time, and it has been proven that it's related to Gouet Blanc. And Gouet Blanc is an odd variety because apparently I've never tried any wine from it. It doesn't produce very good wine, but it it is the parent of... um, Chardonnay and Gamay, for instance, and has teamed up with Pinot Noir to, to produce quite a lot of different varieties. In fact, Gouet Blanc is related to 80 different varieties, so important in that respect. But this means that Riesling is related to Pinot Noir in some um, form. And given that both these great varieties produce some of the finest wines in the world, that relationship is uh, quite interesting. One of the key aspects of Riesling is that it has hard wood in the trunks, and this makes it resistant to spring frost and can grow in cooler climates, which is why it's so widely planted in those more difficult climates in Germany, in Alsace, and um, Canada and New York and elsewhere. This also means it's fairly resistant to um, mildew diseases, which is another advantage for Riesling. The disadvantage is that it is a late ripening, a fairly late ripening grape, and so it's hard to get the grapes fully ripe in these cool conditions. And this is why in Germany, ripeness is so prized, because it's so difficult to get these grapes fully ripe in a cool growing conditions, so that when those grapes are fully ripe, that's, they're considered to be from the best sites, and therefore of the highest quality. And this is why the German wine laws are all about ripeness. And this can be, this can be confusing to the non-experts on German wine, not just because some of the terms are quite scary and off-putting, but also other, other countries relate their wine laws to the region, where it comes from. Whereas in Germany, it's about the ripeness of the grapes when they're picked. But that ripeness doesn't ne- is not necessarily directly associated with sweetness. So the, the grapes could be fermented to complete dryness, although coming from very ripe grapes. Or they could be uh, fermented to be a sweet wine, so not c- completing fermentation, and even though the grapes might not be as ripe as some of the dry wines. So a little bit confusing and contradictory. And that's why you should always look at the alcohol on a German wine label. The lower the alcohol, the sweeter the wine it is going to be. Uh, for all those different terms in Germany, from Cabernet to Trockenbeeren Auschleser, you can listen to my podcasts on German wine laws um, to explain exactly what they all mean. But Riesling is the great variety which they are mostly referring to. Because in Germany it is the most planted grape variety, it's around about 24,000 hectares of plantings 
And this is part of the trend over the last 25 years to really increase the quality of German wine, because in the 60s and 70s and 80s, plantings of Riesling had fallen greatly as the German wine industry recovered from the Second World War, and so Müller-Thurgau became the most planted variety instead. And although plantings of Müller-Thurgau are falling, thankfully, there's still around 10 or 11,000 hectares of plantings, but Riesling has increased greatly, so there's more than double the Riesling that there is Müller-Thurgau, which is a good thing, and that's the association with quality. Of course, historically, Riesling was associated with sweet wine, and some of the greatest wines of Germany are still uh, the sweet wines, the Berenauschleser or Trockenberenauschleser, made from grapes affected with noble rot. Not necessarily made every year, because noble rot doesn't always appear, so there's a rarity to those wines and a scarcity, and also volume is very low, because the sugar is so concentrated in the grapes, you don't get that much juice. But as the trends have changed over the last 20 to 25 years, and producers have focused on quality Riesling rather than low-quality Muller-Thurgau, the trend for dry Riesling has risen greatly. And so a lot of the Riesling that you'll find on the market is dry, with the more expensive wines possibly going to be sweeter. But then there is the Grosser Gavax, which is kind of a Grand Cru, where the wines have to be bone-dry. So even with the higher-quality expensive wines, there's a trend towards dryness. Uh, this is maybe difficult to uh, convince consumers that Riesling is not always sweet, and we shouldn't dismiss the great sweet wines of Germany, but the trend for dry Riesling is uh, very important and very apparent, and the likelihood is, in buying Riesling, it is going to be dry. And so the style will be that high-acid, aromatic, floral, lime aromas, quite intense, which even in dry wines can be quite off-putting to consumers, because they're almost too intense then these aren't wines which are necessarily easy to drink. They require some reflection and some concentration and some adaptation. Just to compare with Pinot Grigio, which is very easy to drink because you don't have to think about it too much. And there's a time and place for all these different types of wines. And there's also a trend which um, we talked about in, the, in my podcast with Jerome for Sect, which is German sparkling wine which um, mostly is pretty um, inexpensive and not very good, made from grapes imported from Central Europe. But there's also a small trend for a really high-quality set made from Riesling in the traditional method, like Champagne. But the style of wine will be very different from Champagne, because it's much more aromatic. But the acidity is there, and maybe a little bit of dosage from a sweet wine can just add a bit of body, because the acidity is so high. So just to run through the different regions of Germany and how important Riesling is in each one of them. Mosul to the north is 5,400 hectares, more or less. And so this is the coolest region, producing wines with high acidity, relatively low alcohol, and often having some sweetness to balance that acidity. Cabinet is the most famous style associated with Mosul. Uh, Faltz is roughly the same, 5,500 hectares, a little less um, known than Mosul right next to Alsace, the other side of the uh, the River Rhine. And these wines are generally going to be a drier style, because it's a little bit warmer. Rhine has some 2,500 hectares, and this is an area that was traditionally for pretty inexpensive wine, not the highest quality, but that quality is now being driven up by influential producers. Rheingau I mentioned as the home of Riesling, the birthplace, that's about 2,500 hectares as well. And this is where the tradition for really lusciously sweet wine is um, founded, and that what well, those wines are still made in the Rheingau and are of the highest quality. And then there's also a region called Württemberg, which is 2,000 hectares, not as well known, but some good quality wine being produced in Württemberg, but mostly for domestic consumption. So just looking at Germany just gives an overview of Riesling 
how it is adaptable to a cold climate because of the um, hard wood and also its resistance to um, fungal diseases. It's also late budding, good for a cold climate. And it ripens at different periods, but it needs those really good sites to ripen. And that's why a lot of the Riesling is found on the steep slopes above the rivers Rhine and Mosul, for instance, to produce these intense wines that get the full ripeness. Whereas on the plains, where it's more fertile, less um, significant, less um, quality grapes are grown instead, because it's quite easy to get them ripe. And that leads us to um, the consideration of crossings and hybrids, which uh, proliferated in Germany because they're always because historically they're always trying to find an alternative to Riesling which ripened earlier and was easy to deal with. And Müller-Thurgau is an example of that. But the problem is they're never the same high quality because they do ripen earlier, so they don't get the same intensity. But some of those crossings are worth um, thinking about, such as Scheurebe, for instance. One of the crossings which does get close to Riesling, though not quite as high in quality and intensity. So on the other side of the border is Alsace, and this is the only region in France where Riesling is officially permitted. It's about 3,500 hectares, bigger than Rheinhessen or Rheingau, but smaller than Mosul or Pfalz in terms of plantings of Riesling. But these plantings have increased greatly. Back in 1950s, there were just 800 hectares. So there's um, over four times the plantings there were 60 years ago. And it is the most planted grape variety in Alsace. Just to contrast with Germany also, there are three authorised clones, whereas there are 60 in Germany. So in Alsace there hasn't been that experimentation with crossings and clonal development that there has been in Germany, where they're constantly trying to find the exact right expression where the grape can get ripe, but still um, not be too difficult to work with. Alsace is a little bit warmer, it's also dry, the dry one of the driest regions in France because it's protected by the Vosges mountain range to the west. And the wines in Alsace will generally be dry to off-dry, fuller-bodied than the wines of Germany, a bit more power to them. And these wines really do express the site they come from. There's 51 Grand Cru in Alsace, and Riesling is one of the great varieties permitted to be planted in the Grand Cru. Wines are always varietally labelled in Alsace, which is unusual for France. And so you'll see Riesling and the name of the Grand Cru on the label. Although these wines are generally on the dry side, there are two styles of wine which may have some sugar. So Vendage Tardive means late harvest, and again this refers to the ripeness of the grapes when they're picked. These wines can be made into dry wines with um, higher alcohol, but they can also be made into medium dry, medium sweet wines. As unfortunately there's not really any indication on the label uh, what style the wine has been made into. But then Selection Grand Noble is wine made from noble rock grapes. And so this wine will be sweet. And this is quite rare because Alsace is so dry, getting the noble rot is um, quite unusual. And so these wines are going to be very expensive, of course, because um, not just their rarity, but also the um, lack of juice that's coming from the grapes. And then the other really important European country for Riesling is Austria, where there are nearly 2,000 hectares of plantings. Austrian Riesling is in general going to be of very high quality, and so there can be a tendency to associate Austria with Riesling because of the German connection and also because the wines are very good. But Riesling is not actually that widely planted. So, for example, the region where Riesling is most planted in Austria is Weinviertel, which means wine quarter, which is really the heart of the Austrian wine industry, in terms of volume at least. And there's just over 500 hectares of plantings in Weinviertel. 
but that's only 4% of all the vineyards planted in that region. Grunewaldliner dominates. Contrast, the Wachau, really high quality region. There's 200 hectares of plantings, which doesn't sound very much in comparison to Weinwirtel's 550. But those 200 hectares of plantings account for 14% of all the vineyards in Wachau. Similarly, in the neighbouring regions of Kamtal and Kremstal, Kamtal has 300 hectares, which is about 7.5% of all plantings, and Kremstal has 215 hectares, which is about 9.5% of all plantings. So you can see that in the really high-quality regions of Austria, particularly in that, um, that trio of regions, Wachau, Kamtal, Kremstal, Riesling is very important, and it's associated with quality on the slopes rising up from the river uh, Danube. And in general, Austria a bit warmer than Germany, so fuller-bodied, quite spicy, and but less austere than Alsace, so a little bit more approachable than the wines of Alsace can sometimes be. Uh, just to quickly mention some of the other European countries where Riesling is planted, because it is planted all over the place, although it's Germany, Austria and Alsace that we're most strongly associating quality Riesling with. So in Italy, there's just over 600 hectares, mostly in Alto Adige, where there's a lot of aromatic Germanic varieties grown at high altitude. Also worth mentioning is um, a producer in Piemonte, a Barolo producer, uh, J.D. Vira, who produces a very good Riesling, but that's a bit anom anomaly in Piemonte. Luxembourg also has Riesling, only 160 hectares, but that's 12% of all plantings in Luxembourg. It's a small country. You don't see those wines too often. And then across Central and Eastern Europe, Riesling is quite widely planted in Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, Moldova, Russia, and Ukraine. Although there is some confusion about whether it is the real Riesling, so to speak, because there are a lot of great varieties which are labeled Riesling, which may not actually be Riesling. So just to be aware, Welsh Riesling is planted in Austria and has absolutely nothing to do with Riesling whatsoever. It literally means foreign Riesling, uh, so it's given that name even though it has no connection, it's, it's from somewhere else. And in Hungary that can be called Olash Riesling, which again has nothing to do with Riesling itself. So there's a little bit of confusion about what is Riesling and what is not, but it is still nevertheless planted in all those countries. And likewise in Israel, where there is Riesling planted, again they're trying to work out what is real Riesling and what is something that's been mislabeled as Riesling. So a little bit of confusion there. Moving away from Europe and to Australia, which is the other country which is really important for Riesling, aside from Germany and Alsace and Austria. It's about four and a half thousand hectares of plantings. So that's quite a lot. It's dwarfed by other great varieties such as Chardonnay, but it's still more than Alsace or Austria have, even if they're associated with Riesling more than Australia is. So we can see that it is actually quite important in Australia and has been historically, particularly in Barossa, Clare and Eden Valleys, where a lot of German immigrants settled in the 19th century. And they planted Rieslings, that's what they were familiar with. But they also planted at higher altitude because they realised it would be cooler at elevation. And Clare Valley can be four to six hundred metres, whereas Cabernet Sauvignon and Shiraz are planted further down where it's warmer. So an awareness of the different um, aspects and different elevation which were suitable for Riesling. So there's a level of expertise when they arrived. Clare Valley is probably the most important region for Riesling in Australia. It's um, about an hour's drive north of Barossa Valley, and so it is quite warm. But 
Those plantings at higher elevation really cool the nights down. You maintain the acidity to the Riesling. And also with those different levels of elevation, there are different aspects. And so there are um, different representations of Riesling according to site. So Grosset would be a, a famous example of a producer in Clare Valley producing single vineyard wines, which um, express the, the site, which is what Riesling is so good at doing, like it's a relation Pinot Noir. And there are about 900 hectares of plantings of Riesling in Clare Valley, also found in Eden Valley, and also in Great Southern in um, Western Australia. So typically for Riesling in Australia, because it's much warmer than European regions, you get much more uh, fruit intensity, real lime zest aromas, almost reminiscent of a margarita in, its, in that zesty lime um, character. And also they get the typical aromas of Riesling, which are the petrol, kerosene, smoky aromas which develop as the wine matures, they come through much quicker in Australia. And that's because it's a compound called TDN is found in Riesling, which is released during fermentation, but also during bottle aging. And the warmer the climate, the faster the release of this compound is. So in Germany, the highest ever amount of TDN found is 19 milligrams per liter. And that's the highest ever. Whereas in Adelaide Hills in Australia, the average is 36 grams per li- uh, milligrams per liter. And so much more prevalent in Australian Riesling, especially from an early age. So in a blind tasting, you feel the wine's youthful, but also very smoky and petrol, is more likely to be from Australia. Whereas a German Riesling will have some other matured uh, tertiary aromas as well as the petrol aromas. And German winemakers may think it's a fault in the wine if those petrol aromas develop too quickly. Riesling is also found in New Zealand, where there's about 900 hectares. This is made in a variety of styles, often with some sugar, and a fair amount of sugar as well, maybe 50 to 60 grams per litre of residual sugar, because the acidity is high. New Zealand has a moderate climate, and not as cool as Germany's, but certainly not as warm as Australia's. And so these wines will have that really bracy acidity, but some weight coming from the sweetness. It's not a hugely important grape variety in New Zealand, but in a region like uh, Central Otago, where Pinot Noir, of course, is very important, there are some very good examples with that really those really hot days but very cold very cool nights where you retain the acidity but build up the ripeness to produce a slightly sweeter style of riesling then going to the us riesling like australia has been planted going all the way back to the 19th century traditionally called johannesburg riesling or white riesling to distinguish it from a great variety called grey riesling which is not actually riesling again that confusion now simply called riesling and it used to be widely planted But since the 1960s, the trend has been, of course, for Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Uh, Riesling not fashionable, but there's nearly 1,600 hectares of plantings in California, and these are growing. And there is some old vine Riesling, but some concentration of new plantings um, in areas that have warm days, cool nights, rather like Australia. But it's still a minor thing. Washington, much more important, 2,600 hectares, and that's grown from 800 hectares in 1999. So over 20 years, it's uh, trebled in plantings in Washington, and that's because Washington has really focused on Riesling as its signature white grape variety. And the quality of the wines is good, but I don't find them that exciting. The most important producer in Washington for everything is Chateau Saint-Michel, and they paired with Dr. Lozen, who's a Mosul producer in Germany, uh, to make Riesling, including Eroica, which is um, their top wine, which does have some residual sugar. 
So with Riesling, it really does depend on where the grapes are planted. Higher the elevation, the better. So you get those warm days and cool nights again. Oregon also has some Riesling, but just 300 hectares. But there's definitely potential for very good Riesling in Oregon, although the concentration has been on Pinot Noir, so other grape varieties get forgotten about a little bit. And because Riesling has been a hard sell over the last 20, 30 years, there's a reluctance in growers to uh, plant Riesling, though it could be very good. Across the country, New York also has Riesling, and this is the state's signature grape variety because it's very high quality. There's only about 300 hectares planted, so they're not that much, but what is planted is extremely good, uh, mainly around the Finger Lakes, which is inland New York, a series of lakes that look like fingers, and those plantings are going to be on the, on the slopes rising up from the lakes, and so the lakes are quite deep, and so they um, can radiate heat, which helps the, uh, the grapes get riper, and also those slopes on the banks of the lakes uh, also help get that extra ripeness. Riesling can be made into a dry style in New York, but often there is a little bit of residual sugar because the acidity is going to be so high. And there's a really nice fruity lime quality to these wines, as well as the high acidity. Across the border in Canada, Riesling can be made into ice wine. Most ice wine in Canada is from Vidal, which is a hybrid, an unusual example of a hybrid producing very good wine, uh, but also Riesling too, and these wines will be expensive. Of course, making Riesling into ice wine is something that happens in Germany, but in Canada it's much more common to make ice wine because the conditions are so cold and you'll get the, the, the frozen grapes no problem, whereas in Germany that's a very um, on-off affair. There's a little bit of Riesling planted in Argentina, just about 100 hectares, and then Chile there's very little, but in the southerly region of Bio Bio, there's some experimentation with Riesling, which could be quite promising, because that's a much cooler region, and so it'll be interesting to see how those wines develop over the coming years. And then finally, to finish with South Africa, there's a great variety called Cape Riesling, which is something completely different, called Crucian, which is low quality. And so the reputation of Riesling has suffered in South Africa because it was being mislabeled. And this has been Riesling's problem over the last 50 years. In Germany, wines such as Blue Nun and Black Tower and Milk were associated with Riesling, even if there was very little Riesling in the wines. And then we have all these misnomers, grape varieties of low quality, which have nothing to do with Riesling, being called Riesling or a variant thereof. Selling Riesling can be a struggle because there's a lot of misunderstanding about the, um, about the grape variety and the wines made from it. It's about 200 hectares planted in South Africa and scattered all over the place. It's not really associated with one region, which is another problem with Riesling. We want to associate it strongly with certain regions such as Mosul, Alsace, Wachau, Clare Valley. There's not that real association in South Africa, but in cooler pockets, I think it could be interesting. So that is Riesling. Looking at all the different regions in which it's grown, the characteristics of Riesling, high acid, intense aromatics, age-worthy, very rarely aged in oak, it's all about the aromatics of the grape variety, expressing the site or the region from which it comes, the different German regions, and also the different styles in which it's made, from dry to lusciously sweet, including ice wine, including wines made from grapes affected with noble rot, and then how it develops with the uh, petrol aromas according to the heat in which the um, grape, grapes are grown and stored. So although it's a difficult grape variety to work with because it, it suits a cold climate, but it also takes a while to get ripe, there is so much versatility to Riesling, which is why producers really love to work with it and produce extremely expressive wines. So thank you for listening. 
This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.